Patrick, you were taking the center seat as you should. And Patrick, the first question, the first question is for you. What does it mean for you to be here from 1987 to now to 2023 to have watched the series finale of Picard on this big screen right here in an IMAX theater with everyone? It's been a very complex experience. Here. <laughs> <laughs> complex. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a complex response for me, um, and I sense it might be for all of my fellows that, and by that I mean Gates too, and... Uh, it's um, it's 35 years since we first assembled. And that's half a career. Um, and the impact that it's had um, on me has touched every corner of my life and my work. So being here tonight and watching this wonderful piece of work, congratulations, Chance, um, has been very satisfying. But people talk about this moment as though it were uh, a moment of combined happiness and sadness. It's not. Because what we have as an ensemble is what we've always had. And even though there may be no more, it's not going to change or go away. It's here for good. It absolutely has been a, a true ensemble with you, you know, really all since the beginning. But with, uh, with this latest episode, with the series finale of Picard, there have now been, since 1966, 883 episodes of Star Trek that have been produced. Wow. And Alex Kurtzman, I want to ask you about the first conversations you had with Terry about where you were going to boldly go with season three of Picard. Um... Well, I guess it goes all the way back to uh, the fact that our, I think our first instinct collectively in our, our being Akiva, uh, Kirsten, and Michael was we wanted to do what I'm sure everybody in this theater wanted to do, which is bring back everybody who you're seeing here. And, you know, Patrick had a, a, an excellent point, which was if you just throw everybody all together right out of the gate, then we've got nowhere to go. And you're not going to be able to get to know any one person particularly well. And you want to earn the return of these extraordinary actors and characters. And it was about, Patrick, if I'm remembering correctly, about mid-season two that we began to say, you know, season three really needs to be everybody's return. Even though, obviously, we had sprinkled some, some returns all the way back into season one. And Terry was the perfect person to do it on so many levels because... I think he understands at the deepest level as a fan, as an audience member, 
as someone who just knows Trek like the back of his hand, exactly what you want to feel and how you want to feel it when you bring everybody back. And, you know, as many times as I've seen this, to, to get to see it on an IMAX screen is, I mean, this is the first time we've all really gotten to see it on an IMAX screen other than, you know, what we were doing, the sound test. And um, the meticulousness with which Terry, by the way, who also directed it, so, you know, he didn't just write it, he directed it, but the meticulousness with which he understands that the core of Trek is not just family, but following up uh, suspense with a joke, with emotion, with a, with that incredible feeling that we got from TNG always, which is everybody together at the end on that bridge. And the way that you earned these last two episodes was so perfectly plotted by Terry and the writers. Um, so I think that we felt from the beginning that, um, you know, we were all in great hands with him. Let's give it up for Terry Metallus, everybody. Terry, my question for you is this. Now, season three, especially season three, it's not just great Star Trek. It's great television, period. And you produced this back-to-back. -back. You Season two and three were, were shot back-to-back. -back. So what, how daunting was that to launch into this final season, to bring the band back together, so to speak, to keep one of the biggest secrets in an era where it's really damn hard to keep a secret, uh, to do all of this. It's a miracle that we did, by the way. <laughs> it, it, I mean, I'm so glad it's over. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the, keeping the Enterprise a secret, keeping the Borg a secret, keeping all of this. I, thank God it's over tonight. I, I, I have grays. Uh, I, I like to say that it, it took 35 years off my life and put on 35 pounds. Um, it was... Uh, it, uh, but um, it was incredibly daunting. Um, and but to uh, for for Alex and uh, Akiva and Patrick to to trust me with this season, this importance of a, to set out to do a, a final send off to to Star Trek: Next Generation and to send off a card uh, and this legacy. For me, it's incredibly surreal. I, I, I would often call Alex uh, while he was uh, working on uh, Manfield Earth. I'm like, I, I, are you sure you can't find somebody better? <laughs> I'm sure there's more qualified people. Uh, uh, it, it, and, but, uh, and to do it back to back in season two in a time of COVID um, uh, was, it, it was very hard uh, on everyone here. Um, but it's a testament to this cast and to our production team and our post team and our writers that we were able to, to, to pull it off. So, you know, think about social media is, you know, you can, you can go on when you watch something and just post right away how you feel about it. No spoilers. But one thing I've noticed all season long, because of the richness of the stories, because of the richness and the way these characters were written, because of you're coming back to play them so many years later after Nemesis, really. Watching each and every one of you deliver career best performances in these characters, the gravitas uh, has, I mean, it, like I kept saying all season long that these are like any worthy performances, but Jonathan Frakes, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Out for pound. 
<laughs> One of your finest American actors. <laughs> Jonathan, my question is this. Like, what was it about the way the way that Riker was written for this season, the conversations you've had maybe with Terry and Alex, uh, and maybe the experience you bring to the table now after directing dozens of hours of television and film that made you really take your performance as Riker to another level? I think the addition of the conflict in season three that Roddenberry discouraged among the crew, he strangely, among other things, believed that there'd be no conflict on the bridge of the Enterprise, which made for the opposite of what good drama is. So in this season, whether it was set up consciously or not, the uh, experience that Shabon had created in season one where Riker's and Troy's son has died at this planet where we've given up Starfleet to move to. Picard brings his surrogate daughter to visit. Two seasons later, the fact is, Picard is surprised that he has a son. And he and Riker come to some sort of discomfort around it. And I essentially tell him that, you know, this is a great privilege. I don't have a son. You do have a son. Don't fuck this up. And, and it's... Um, so the, and also the fact that Troy and Riker have lost a child and that inevitably, <clears throat> I mean, historically creates uh, conflict in marriages. So that's in the story. It's really that the conflict has been injected into the season and the levity that uh, the Worf and Riker story has provided. It was a privilege to play the best Riker's ever been, thanks to Terry Metalis. Here, here. But I, I have to say... The key to writing Riker is just to add a lot more Jonathan Frakes. <laughs> like that, truly, like we, we, we just infused a lot more Jonathan into it and a lot more of that sparkle in his eye and a lot more of that wryness. And I think that truly is what the audience is responding to. Oh! <laughs> it's true. Well, honestly, the same goes for you, Jerry. I, I just feel like you, your performance as seven in the season, we've never seen just the, the depth, the gravitas to, to a performance. I got to tell you, Captain Seven of Nine of the Starship Enterprise really yeah. does sound nice. It doesn't suck. <laughs> so uh, when you got to to really just take your performance as Seven to a, another level, especially working with the great Todd Stashwick this season. I love Todd. Todd White, he was amazing, amazing, amazing. So tell us about just how that working with him, working with everyone on this panel, really just took you to just new heights with your performance as seven. Well, I've always said that from day one, 20 something years ago when I started playing seven, she was a gift as an actor. And that is more true today than ever. Um, I knew at the beginning of the season um, that we could not have been in better hands. Um, I've known Terry since I started on Voyager. You guys have all probably heard this story. We both started on Voyager the same year. He was a PA <laughs> delivering scripts to the makeup trailer. Um, so we bonded as the new kids. And um, he is, you know, I, I know the depth of his fanboyness. <laughs> so I knew that, I knew the love and the respect that he would be writing these characters with. Um, and when he told me what he had in mind for seven, it, it's not what I would have ever envisioned. I was shocked. I, um, 
but it was so right and it was so um such a perfect way to wrap up this arc i think um over the last 25 or whatever it was years um and to play with my friends who i've known for literally decades now just as friends and a couple of them as directors over the years um to get to play with them as actors okay a little hard to keep a straight face most of the time <laughs> just because we all know each other so well and it was so surreal to be in that situation with them but my god what a gift just truly what a gift and what a joy and um todd stashwick was a my god a delightful surprise and a force of nature and just fantastic just fantastic um so i think the performances and the writing just elevated all of us i think gates i want to ask you uh, you know when you're you know when you would get back together every couple of years to do like the next feature like whether it was first contact insurrection you know it's talking about like a couple of years but after more than a couple of years to play Beverly Crusher again in a completely different way. Certainly when we first see her in the first episode of the season, she's, she's an action hero. So what was it like to just play her in a completely different way in a more challenging way that, you know, you didn't really get to do in the, the original show? Well, when um, I first talked to Terry and Akiva about it, I truly was surprised that they, they wanted me to be the comic role of the season. Um, and, you know, I thought that was great. My, no, I'm, I, clearly that joke didn't land, but anyway. I got it. Uh, I got it. Anyway, uh, Terry got it, yeah. But at any rate, uh, no, it was, it was just what we've been saying. It was a gift, and tonight has been so joyful um, to be... I never dreamed that we'd be back doing this this many years from the first time we did it. And I feel so fulfilled because I love you all. And I think you're all wonderful human beings and you're wonderful actors. And then to have met all the new people and I consider all of the producers were new to me. And I think they're fantastic. They, they, um, really have done a, a, an amazing job. And Terry knows I adore him. I really do. I think he's an extraordinary, extraordinary uh, producer and writer. And um, it's been a gift. And all of the new cast was, were cast so well. Um, my new space son, oh, it's Beliers, is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And, um, and everything, and, and to have... Your daughter and Ashley, all of these, the next generation, it really was fulfilling because we started as the next generation and now there's a next, next generation and I, I'm honored. So I, I really am grateful for the ride and I thank you all. Talk about the next, next generation. LeVar, uh, not only did we get to see the LaForte sisters, but one of them was played by your old daughter. Uh, Mika Burke, who is with us tonight in the audience. Mika's up there somewhere. So, Mika! so, so Lavar, like, uh, what was that like to to see your old daughter in a Starfleet uniform? It's awesome. The very first time I saw her in a uniform, she FaceTimed me from her wardrobe fitting. 
And I did not know that she was going to be wearing the engineering yellow. <laughs> and I lost it. I mean, it was really emotional for me. Um, and just to, you know, just to have her there in a professional capacity, working with all of us. Uh, she's, you know, she's been a member of this family since before she was born. And to see everyone respond to her um, as a professional actor and, um, and writing to work with her every day, it was just, it was such an extraordinary experience. And I, and I, and I, I know, you know, you're just getting blown up here, Terry, but this was, this was all Metallus. This was all, all him. He, we, we spoke, he asked me what I would like to see with Jordy, and I, and I told him I really, really, really wanted to re rehabilitate Jordy's relationship curve with <laughs> <laughs> the family. And, um, and he went, we won better, and, um, and, and gave me two daughters and made room for the possibility that one of the daughters could be played by my own. Fantastic. That is amazing. So, Fred Spider, uh, just, like, just like with Gates, you know, you're, you're coming back to play Data, who's a completely different version of Data from, that you played for 176 episodes. But watching the scene, one of the high points of this season, of season three of Picard, was watching Data fight for his soul against Lord, and it made me think, yes, absolutely, uh, toward the force, but Brent, it made me think back to the first season episode, Data Lore, where, where Data and Laura are walking down the hall of the Enterprise, and, you know, I'm thinking, watching this, this scene, what was it like to film that, to go there again, to play two different versions of a, of a character like that? Well, uh, I mean, I don't want to be glib, but but then it wouldn't be me, would it? <laughs> uh, no, uh, yeah, because I was going to say it gave me the opportunity to work with my favorite actor, but I've, I've said that way too many times. No, I didn't want to say that. Uh, you know what? Uh, I, I, I think, I'll tell you what, just the entire uh, the entire thing came to a head really in this episode, uh, in number 10, in the scene with, with Marina at the end, um, for me, because that's where the journey has been from the beginning. Uh, I mean, uh, Gene, when I first met him, said that the journey for, for Data will be that he'll be closer and closer and closer to humanity, and at the very end, he'll be so close, but still not. Uh, and and I think that's where where Terry went with it. Uh, I don't well, care well, much for Terry actually, but uh, don't don't bury the lead. That scene was your idea, so <laughs> I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's brilliant. It's a, it was way better than what we had. It, it, well, yeah, it was but, absolutely his idea. But the thing about possession with, with Maria was it's genius. The, the thing about the scene and and the whole structure of data this time around, as opposed to the data we knew from Next Generation, uh, I think what we found out is that in, Data always seemed to be the outsider because he was a machine and not a human. And it, now he's almost human, as close as he can be, and somehow he's, 
he's more all of us now. He's, uh, when he talks about the human condition, that thing he, he was always confused by and trying to understand, now that he's human, it, it, it's still there. And it was always there. And that's what, it's, what it is for all of us, is a confusing, confusing journey that, that we are trying to figure out as we go along. Michael Dorn, the piece de resistance. has locked more hours on Star Trek than any other person ever. Because of all those hours, Michael, tell us about the moment when you, as a cast, got to walk on the bridge of the re-resurrected Enterprise D. Um, well, they asked that question uh, outside, and, and it, was, it was easy to answer because when you're working there, you really don't get that sort of feel, or, or I didn't get that sort of feel. It wasn't like, oh my God, you know, because it was a set, we were filming, and, you know, other things are going on. Uh, but when I saw um, the episode, that's when it got to me. Uh, because uh, I'm watching it, and I was transported, <laughs> transported back to, uh, <laughs> back to the first time I saw the bridge in 1987. Uh, I had been in makeup tests and whatever the case, and I just happened to wander on the set as Michael Dorn on his wharf, and I'm looking, and I just remembered how comfortable uh, everything was, you know, the muted colors and the comfortable chairs, and, and it was a different thing. And I just remember that, uh, that feeling, and I got that same feeling when I watched it on the screen. That's That's what it was to me. Uh, but being on the on the ship at the time, I mean, we were working our butts off. And so it was, you didn't have the time to kind of go, oh, wow, you know, and kind of take it all in. Uh, but but that's what, that's the magic that I've always loved about um, about Star Trek and television in general is that, you know, what you're doing is, is wonderful and you're acting, you know, and uh, but when you see it, that's when it kind of hits you. Patrick, what about you? Uh, what was that moment like for you? I, th I know you only had two days to film. Is that right? Two days to film on the on the bridge of the D. But what was that like for you? Especially, you know, to when you all sat down and you know, you pulled the Picard maneuver. Um, of course, we noticed these things. What was that like for you? I remember. <laughs> I remember feeling very self-conscious because I was aware it was not just another stage in our narrative, which was that episode, but it was also um, a, a kind of reunion in a location that has become almost reverend in the, in the past 35 years. I, uh, I felt... Uh, I didn't quite know how to be natural. I felt a little bit artificial. I mean, you must have been aware of it all. I mean, I was just too commonplace. I'm always in awe. You are? Yes. Okay, thank you, Michael. <laughs> you see? You see? Um, it, it was... 
it was weird. It was strange. And it, it was because we couldn't think about it really in turning the clock back in the way that Picard felt about it. That was the way Patrick was feeling about it. And it was, it was actually quite challenging, I found. But uh, I loved watching it. it it's the, the, because it was subdued, it was properly controlled, and we didn't make something more out of it, which I think was the right thing. Thank you. Okay, one more question for, for Jonathan, and then we're going to turn to some fan questions that were submitted by uh, fans who are watching right now around the country. So, Jonathan, I did my rewatch of Next Gen recently. I just binged. I missed out on Succession. I just binged Next Generation. Did you skip through the first season? No, I did not. Oh. No, I didn't. By the way, the first season is really good. Okay, I'll get to that another time. But Jonathan, my question is this. All right. The first episode of television that you directed, the first episode oh. of Star Trek, The Offspring. Yes, sir. From the third season, and by the way, some trivia, it was the episode that aired right after yesterday's Enterprise. Talk about a double whammy. But so my question for you, Jonathan, is to, to direct that first episode, The Offspring, and all the other shows that you've directed over the years, the other films, and the other episodes of the other Star Trek shows. But with this season, you directed two episodes. This is different because you were directing members of your of your family that you have worked with for 36 years. So what was that like for you to come full circle as a director from The Offspring to season three? Wow. Very satisfying, as you can imagine. The, um, the great privilege of working with this family is that we now, and even after the first few years of working together, we have a shorthand. I particularly shorthand with Patrick and a shorthand with Marina because of most of the scenes I play are with them. So when I'm directing them and I'm acting with them, I can look into Patrick's eyes and I can tell if I've done something that I need to adjust. I can look to him and as I approach him to give him a note, he says, I know, act better. And I said, yeah, that's it. And we, we move on and enough has been said. I think that... Um, Episodes three and four, which I directed in season three of Picard, are probably the best directing that I've, I've done on, the, on Star Trek. The Offspring is my emotional, you know, route, and that was because of Brent Spiner. Because when you get a data show, you know you've got a winner. So it's been a, it's been a great journey, for which I'm very grateful. So now we're going to turn to some uh, questions here. So the first question comes from Vanessa, who's uh, watching right now in Altamont Springs, Florida. So while filming this last season of Picard, what moment made you feel in your heart say, I'm home? Let's start with you on that, LeVar. Getting into that shuttle um, and pulling up to the Fleet Museum and being in the pilot's chair and looking around and Patrick was next to me and Jonathan was behind me and we were, we were all there. And um, it, it felt absolutely like home. Whenever we are all together, it feels like home. What about all of us in the uh, turbo lift? In the turbo lift, right? About to enter yeah. the, uh, the bridge. See, that's the thing. Yes, there was, there, 
as Patrick says, we were, we were busy, we were acting in front of the camera, but in between, it was as if we had stepped back in time. We were like kids again, like we were, like we were young. It was, it was like being in a, a, a time capsule in, in, in that sense, because we were, you were giddy. Yeah, he was. He, you were, were very giddy. Silly. Silly, yeah. And singing songs, yes. Dizzy, funny. Yes. Dizzy, unstable. No, no, funny. No, no, no. Not that we're both. Yeah. The good kind. The good kind. Okay, uh, so the next question is for Terry. This comes from Sharon in uh, Cummings, Georgia. So for Terry Vitalis, how did you find the balance of referencing the other seasons of Star Trek Picard versus the movies and the Next Generation TV series? And by the way, thank you for a lovely season. Well, thank you. Um, you know, it, uh, we had a, a, a very specific story that we wanted to tell. Uh, uh, I, I think uh, season one of Picard had the most, we referenced the most. Uh, specifically Picard uh, dying, um, uh, the uh, aromatic syndrome, and Rafi. We really wanted to get back to Rafi's story with her family and have that, that arc. Um, uh, and then, you know, it, it is certainly a love letter to Star Trek, to all the Star Treks uh, across the board. So you, you want it to be as organic as possible. So that's just a thing you do in, in the writing room uh, with your writers and, and try and find it along the way. So I, I think, I, I hope we did the, the best we could with that. You did great, absolutely. I, I just you. want to just ask before I turn to this next question. Sure. A Alex and, and Terry, how did you get Walter Koenig to play President Anton Chekhov? Well, that was awesome. So, all right, so this is the craziest thing. <laughs> Walter is Todd Stashwick's neighbor. Exactly. <laughs> and tomorrow night, I'm going to watch it with Walter Koenig. Oh. How cool is that? Um, and uh, we, I, we really wanted to get him on screen doing that message, uh, but we ran out of, out of time and money, unfortunately. Um, and we literally knocked on his door. And I really wanted to honor the original series uh, and do it. And he was so lovely about it and amazing. And... Uh, uh, Anton, of course, is uh, a, a reference to Anton, who we, who of course, from the JJ movies, right? JJ movies, movies we lost, yes. and of course we, uh, and the Alex, yes, yeah. <laughs> of course, and Alex, who we wanted to do that, um, and we just thought it would be a lovely nod to to that. Okay, uh, I want to ask Jerry. So, what did what was the order? The order that. Captain Seven gave. That was a great cut. Great cut. I am not telling you that. Oh, good answer. Well, maybe we will find out one of these days. Never say never. Never say never. Uh, okay, the next question. Uh, you know, uh, this is from Michael in Dallas, Texas. So the first question is, who decided on Worf's pacifist path? And Michael, how did you like playing this different version, this mellower? Why are you pointing at each other? Uh, this is one of those things where, um, it, you know, it started from from a humble beginnings and it just just went crazy. Um, <laughs> but I, it was it was a, a a call that I have with Akiva and and Terry, and they said, "What do you think?" And they told me what they thought, and we kind of had this exchange of ideas. And I one of the things I said, you know really was just he I wanted him to be on a journey that he's been 
you know, not just hanging around slicing people up. He's been on an on a emotional and spiritual journey. And that's kind of all I said. And, you know, and they told me, that the one thing that they did tell me, they said, well, we want Worf to have white hair, just gray hair. And I tell the story all the time, you know, is that I, I kind of went, I don't want Worf to be old. I don't, you know, and, and, I, and I thought about it, then I thought about, you know, one of my favorite directors is uh, Tarantino and Kill Bill, you know, that Pi May, white hair, white beard, and could kill anybody. And so once, once we got that out of the way, uh, they just took off with the, with, uh, with the script. I mean, I was reading it, and I was happy with, with everything they did. It was like, yes, Worf is, he can still slice people up, but he's on a spiritual journey, like Jonathan, water around the rock. Water around the rock. Yep. Um, and so it was very easy. And I, I got to say that, that I've been fortunate um, from the very beginning, uh, not just on this show, but the other, the other show is that uh, I never really had to go up there and yell and scream. You know, the, the writers and the producers always came up with really wonderful stuff to play, like really wonderful stuff. And so I was, I was you know, giddy over that stuff. Brent, I want to ask about, because you, you were coming back to play Data in a very different way. So how, how did returning to Star Trek this season, returning to Data in a di different way, make you reevaluate data, reevaluate just Star Trek as a whole? Uh, gee whiz. Um, I have to say, Terry came up with this notion of who data would be, uh, and you were pretty sure I wouldn't do it. I think I was, uh, yeah. Yeah. But I was very nervous. I was like, all right, well, but yeah. go ahead and tell us right. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'll be honest, I, I, I wasn't sure it was going to work. Uh, and, um, we toyed with with uh, calling him something else because he was an accumulated uh, being of, of of several different personalities, and we came up with another name and we played with that for a while. And uh, there was actually a day uh, I was driving, I pulled my car over and called Terry and I said, "I think he has to be Data." And like, um, thank God, because that's all we wanted was data. <laughs> we were trying to lead him to the water. He did. He did. Well, yes, you can lead a horse to water, right? But <laughs> you can't make him think or something like that. Uh, but um, but yeah, I did have to. I, I, honestly, it was it was like creating a new character in a way, even though there are certainly elements of what data's always been in him. Uh, it, it, yeah, it was a challenge, and, and uh, as I say, I didn't know it would work, if it would work, but I didn't want to be home when all my friends were having a good time. And uh, But the one thing we knew would work was to see all those personalities fighting. There, there's one scene in right. which Brent plays uh, Data, Lore, B4, Soong, in the span of like 18 seconds, and we knew Brent was going to crush that. So uh, once we had that in our heads, uh, that we would be able to do Jekyll and Hyde, we, we knew we were at least halfway there uh, and, and that it would be good. So uh, can, can I say something really fast? Yeah. Um, uh, I got a message from Michelle Hurd, and she, uh, she wanted to give everybody her love. 
and that she wanted to be here, but she's shooting a movie in, uh, in Australia right now, and she wanted me to say that. That's great. Well, Michael, what was it like? And, and let's have a yes. shout out for Marina, yeah. who also oh, yeah. is not yes. Marina. Yeah. It's such funny, wonderful work, moving. So first question, Michael, real fast. So working with Michelle, because you and Michelle have a lot of time together before you all get together again. So it was like working with her. Oh, it was, um, it was from the very beginning. We met in um, the rehearsal, the stuck rehearsal. And that's where we met. And, you know, she's athletic and she's in there as, as um, you know, as committed as any actor I've, you know, I've worked, worked with. And she is, um, and, and we bonded, you know, very quickly, very, became very different friends on and off the set, you know, at the end of the day, she's getting in her car, I'm getting in my car. And of course, we're going to, you know, complain about something. And, um, and at the end, we go, well, you know, hey, that's life. And we kind of go on. But it really was um, an interesting pairing that I think they... If, if the producers knew, then, then they're geniuses, you know? But I think they, they may not have known how deeply um, we were going to, uh, uh, the characters were going to gel. Um, I think, well, I think they did. I think they did, because, you know, they're both these, these two, you know, strong individuals. He's coming from a different direction. She's coming from a different direction. And um, it was just magic. It really was magic, you know? And her sort of, you know, giving him a bunch of crap, you know, and, and he's, you know, water around the rock. And it, it, it's, it was, it was a, a real surprise just how deep it was. Um, but it was just a joy, just a, a real joy. And she and her husband and I have become very close friends, you know. And, you know what else was magic? Mm -hmm. You and Marina. Oh. Oh, Talk well. about working with her again and just coming full circle with anxiety. I mean, it's amazing. Imzani, the beloved, was part of the pilot yep. of, of Next Generation yep. at Conrad Farpoint. And for some reason, it was included in the, in the pilot. We looked at each other and there was an empathic connection. She's betazoid, they're an empath. Somehow, by being in love with her, I was also able to be empathic. It was erased for 176 episodes and three movies, and all of a sudden, the writers thought, what if they got married? <laughs> Marina and I had decided to keep the Imzadi cooking for the seven seasons. And it gave us something to play in those painfully long conference room scenes, <laughs> where I used to say to Data or <laughs> Trilovar, report, and then there was nothing but technobabble for about half an hour. We could play the Imzadi on the side, and then the editor would have something to cut to. So it was a, um, and she's a marvelous actor, obviously, and. Uh, Again, as I said about Patrick, you look into her eyes and you can tell if you're delivering and you can, and it comes right back. So it, it was, um, it was a great way to introduce the character. My wife kept saying each of these episodes have earned the character's return. And, and the same is very true with, uh, with Marina's return, I thought. Absolutely. Yeah. So Patrick, last question. We're coming back to you. Any, any party words, anything you would like to say about wrapping up? Star Trek Picard about wrapping up your time as Picard over 36 years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I have been asked this question many times, and that's and the, and the language you use is not what it feels like. This feels to me like a continuation of the life that I am living. That is how potent Star Trek has been in my life. If, if, if that's it, what we watch tonight is the end of all of us and our association with Star Trek. Well, that's fine because the association that we have had has been so good and so rewarding. I mean, just to be sitting here looking at these faces is um, a beautiful experience. I have nothing in my life like the relationship I have with my fellow actors in this show. So it's not over. It's continuing. It's just that nobody's calling and action. So couple more announcements. So for everyone in this theater here at the Grove in Los Angeles, please stay seated while we exit. Uh, that would really be groovy. Also, groovy. <laughs> that would be groovy. Yes. So the I other thing the word groovy is this is not over. Uh, I have a feeling, especially Captain Seven, we're going to see a whole lot more Star Trek to come with these people. Uh, Scott. Yes. Scott, there's there's one more uh, person I wanted to shout out. To Please do. Is Ed Spaliers. Ed, of who, course. Uh, who, whose performance and chemistry with Patrick as father and son. And Gates. It, and Gates um, is so phenomenal. I wish he was with us tonight. But the, the, the family, Crusher and Picard, was really the heart of the season. And uh, I, I thought in this one he... He just deserved a real shout out. Absolutely. Big shout out to Ed. Awesome. So as much as I would love to keep this conversation going, as much as we would all love to keep this conversation going, as they say, all good things. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you, everyone. Thank you to this amazing panel for this history-making television moment. Thank you for everyone in this theater. Thank you for everyone in theaters around the country. So, of course... Live long and prosper and keep going boldly. Thank you, everybody.